Mark your calendars! The ADCES 24 Annual Conference parades into New Orleans August 9-12, through 12, 2024. Registration opens March 26, but you can start planning your trip now. Get ready to seize opportunities to connect, learn, and optimize your diabetes care and education practice. Stay tuned for updates at adces24.org. Welcome to AABE's podcast, The Huddle, Conversations with the Diabetes Care Team. In each episode, we speak with guests from across the diabetes care space to bring you perspectives, issues, and updates that elevate your role, inform your practice, and ignite your passion. I'm Kirsten Yale, Research and Proposal Manager at AADE, and we've got a great show for you today. I've had the pleasure of talking with Katherine O'Neill an associate professor at the University of Oklahoma Health Sciences Center and the College of Pharmacy about the great topic, health literacy. Without further ado, here's Catherine. Catherine, welcome to the huddle. Thank you for having me. We are so excited to have you here. You know, I've had the opportunity to talk to you on multiple occasions about our topic today, which is health literacy and numeracy, Um, but so excited to share your experience with our listeners. Um, You have a background in diabetes care and education, and also more recently, health literacy, and I'd love to hear more about that. Absolutely. I first want to say that this is such an important topic to highlight. So thank you so much for this opportunity. And I'll tell you, my background with this originally started when I was in pharmacy school, which was many years ago. My aunt was diagnosed with diabetes. And as I was learning more and more about diabetes and what went into the care of it, I tried to help my aunt as much as I could. And she is of a uh, Korean background and her providers told her that she could not eat any rice um, since she was diagnosed with diabetes. And from a cultural perspective, um, her and her husband, my uncle, took that literally and it really impacted her quality of life and actually caused some depression. So at that moment, when I saw the impact it had on her, I vowed to myself that I was going to learn as much as I could about diabetes so then I could educate patients with diabetes to where they had the resources and information that they needed that was accurate to where they could make appropriate decisions to improve their own self-management in a healthy way that didn't impact their quality of life. This, in in so many ways, can not only impact quality of life, but also the clinical outcomes of a patient um, when it comes to diabetes care, as well as uh, just thinking about how to take their medication. So, I mean, it hits so many aspects. So, again, thank you for this opportunity to talk about it. Well, you know, and hearing your story reminds me of, you know, the paper that I just read that you you were a co-author on, the cultural and health literacy considerations with diabetes. And there's a section in there that I find fascinating. So when I think about health literacy, the first thing that comes to mind is reading and writing, because that's what we think about with literacy. Um, But hearing about your, your story with your aunt, there's so much more to it. It says, you know, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm actually looking at the paper right now, but it says speaking, listening, cultural knowledge and understanding of specific concepts. So it's, it's fascinating that maybe 
we think about literacy in a certain way, but actually when we talk about health literacy, it's so much more. It definitely is. And if I may even go back to the original definition that the Institute of Medicine published, it's the degree to which individuals have the capacity to, and here's the key parts, obtain, process, and understand basic health information so that they can make appropriate healthcare decisions. So like you just stated, it impacts so many different things. So even though we're giving patients information, that information has to be delivered in a way that that specific individual can understand it and process it so that they can utilize that information. And it could be simply education about diabetes. It could be information on how to take their medication, how to deliver insulin, how to calculate carbohydrates, how to exercise, prepare meals. I mean, it covers an entire spectrum um, for self-management with diabetes care, especially. Well, and you guys talk about these five categories of health literacy, which I found um fascinating and and i i guess i would say scary um because we there's when you talk about these five levels and maybe i'll let you talk about them a little bit more but the scary thing to me is you know approximately 90 million adults lack the needed health literacy health literacy skills to navigate the healthcare system can you talk a little bit about that and the and the impact Sure. And I agree with you. That is a very scary, alarming statistic, but it is, it's true, unfortunately. That came from the National Assessment of Adult Literacy Survey that created, along with the Institute of Medicine, four categories of health literacy. You have below basic, which means that that individual can identify a date on an appointment slip and circle it. Then there's basic skills, which means the individual can understand simple handouts. There's intermediate skills, which means that that individual can interpret medication labels. And then finally, proficient, which means that individual can understand medical terminology. And just as you alluded to, 90 million adults lack the health literacy skills needed. 36% of the population is classified as having basic or below basic health literacy skills, and only 12% have a health literacy skill of proficient. So to reiterate what I just said, only 12% of our population has the skills to understand medical terminology. So when we're telling patients information, we have to make sure that they're doing or we're doing it in terms that they understand. So to give you an example, I had a patient refer to me for diabetes and this individual was on insulin using an insulin pen and taught how to use and inject the insulin. But over a couple of months, the control was not improving, and the doses were titrated close to 100 units per day. So when I saw the patient, just in talking to the patient, having them describe to me their technique, it actually sounded pretty darn good. But then when I had them actually demonstrate the technique, that's where I realized that there was a disconnect. So the individual would dial up the dose And then instead of pushing the plunger down to inject the insulin, the patient would dial the the pen back down to zero. So the patient never was getting any insulin, really. 
and to me, the the even scarier part is that if a family friend or someone who the individual knew had some knowledge of injection technique and saw that and tried to correct it, and that patient all of a sudden took close to 100 units of insulin, that could have put that patient in a very dangerous situation. Yeah, that's scary. And, 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 and honestly, Catherine, just hearing you talk, I... You know, I've been in the health system for a for a long time, and I, I like to think of myself as an intelligent person. But hearing you talk about dialing and injections and all of this, I can imagine there's I'm, I'm you know it's sounding confusing to me, and I can imagine somebody in an emotional situation might be even you know might might be even more confused too. And I it brings me back to a conversation I remember us having recently where. You know, you said, I think we think about health literacy as being pervasive in a vulnerable population, but really, you know, you can have a doctorate degree and and not be health literate. Is that Absolutely. right? Absolutely. I'm so glad that you brought that up. The Every individual is unique in our experiences and the training that we have. So when someone, for example, is trained in, uh, let's say, legal jargon and is a district attorney has a juris doctorate degree, their training is not in medical jargon, so it can be looked at as a foreign language. If I were to read a legal document, that would be a foreign language to me because that's not my training, and I would have no understanding of what I was looking at and would need um, assistance with that. So yeah, it we tend to stereotype it to the more vulnerable populations, but it really impacts every single individual just because of how unique we all are. Absolutely. I love the way you, you brought that back to a foreign language because that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, okay, so we know it's we know it's a big issue. Um, 90 million people, only 12% of the population proficient. So, and, and especially with diabetes care and education, relying so much on self-care, how can we assess for health literacy as diabetes care and education specialists? There's several different tools that we can use. Um, one being what we call um, just, I'm, I'm just going to say visual observation and cues that the patient um, gives us. If we give them information to read and they respond with, I forgot my glasses or I'm running late, I'll um, I'll read it later, or I've got someone waiting in the car, or any excuse to not read the document or want to share some time going over it with you is a red flag that maybe they're having difficulty with reading the material. Or sometimes I like to give patients handouts upside down oh. and see if they take the time to turn it right side up to look at it. Oh, so those are like informal assessments, right? Yeah, yeah, just visual observations that you can make. And then there's more formal assessments that you can do that are actual brief questionnaires. So there's one that is specific to diabetes itself, as well as the rapid assessment of adult health literacy. And they're just brief questions that you can ask the patient. It does take maybe one or two minutes to administer it, and um, it does give you valid information back. If you don't want to spend the time to ask them a handful of questions, there is one question that has been well validated that can assess health literacy, and it's asking a patient how comfortable or how confident they are in filling out um, medical forms by themselves. That one simple question um, can give you an idea of how uh, 
again, how comfortable they are and a clue to what level of health literacy they have. And that's an assessment that takes like 20 to 30 seconds. Yep. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, so beyond these informal and formal assessments, you know, it's, it's really interesting today as we've moved into this, this world of technology, right? And does e, how has um, like e-health or mobile health considerations, how is that impacting health literacy, especially thinking about social communication skills? It's an area that needs a lot of attention. Um, as we all know, the the use of technology is growing rapidly with diabetes specifically. We have our CGM devices. We have apps that we use. In personal life, we now can deposit checks through our phone. Um, So it's becoming more of our routine life. And studies have shown that when these technological resources are being developed, that health literacy actually is not being considered as often as it should be. And Individuals with lower health literacy are less likely to use these tools. So from a diabetes care and education specialist, if we are working with someone who is put on, let's say, for an example, a CGM, and they are not comfortable using the reader or the apps, it may not give us the the most optimal outcome. So we're doing our patients a disservice by not taking the time to make sure that they truly understand the tools that they're using um, to help with their care. So that's interesting. It makes me think, how can we overcome these barriers? So we assess them, right? And so we just talked about you're assessing them. And if you find that there's um, that there's a gap in understanding how do we address that? There's a couple that? of techniques we can use. My most favorite one is called the teach back technique. This is where the patient with diabetes will either repeat back verbally the information you shared with them in their own language to confirm that they have understood um, what they've just been told or show you if that's a possibility, um, a technique, for example, on on what you just instructed them to do. And this is incredibly important. I I have another story I'd like to share. I have a patient uh, who is referred to me for diabetes. And as a pharmacist, one of the first things I always do is do a medication reconciliation and asking about medication taking behaviors. And this patient was taking metformin with a common instruction of one tablet twice daily, but the provider in trying to help the patient wrote very specific directions. Take one tablet at eight o'clock in the morning with breakfast and one tablet at five with dinner. So in questioning this patient, uh, the individual said that they never took the evening medication. It was just the morning. So With further probing, I learned that the patient never ate dinner at five o'clock and took those directions literally. So just skip that evening dose the the entire time that medication had been prescribed. So even though we're thinking that we're helping the patient, it's important that we have them repeat back in their own words what they think that they heard and understood. That's fascinating. And if you hadn't taken the time or created the time to ask those questions, you never, you never would have learned that. And, and, it, and I hear that more and more from diabetes care and education specialists that almost the role of um, 
understanding behaviors or therapist comes in to their to their role as a diabetes care and education specialist almost every day. Um, you know, one thing that I loved in this paper was the tips you had. Um, they were tips on on plain language. Do you want to talk through those? Sure, I would love to. So when we're providing patients with handouts or even in communicating with patients, the recommendation is to use plain language, which is a very simplified language using syllables that are less than three, for example, and making sure that we use terms that the patient is most likely to be familiar with instead of leaning more towards some medical jargon. As an example, abdomen. Oftentimes I hear uh, diabetes care and education specialists in teaching insulin injection technique will say inject into the abdomen. And that is a word that is not considered to be very um, health literacy friendly. Patients instead are more apt to understand the word stomach. So that's what we mean by plain language, being very simple in the words that we choose and making sure that they are patient-centered and tailored to that individual um, and their lifestyle. Um, Motivational interviewing, you kind of alluded to that earlier, comes into play as well in identifying what their own personal barriers are and how together we can come up with a plan to overcome those barriers, whether it it relates to medication-taking behaviors or other lifestyle measures for that matter. And then uh, language that we choose. We have to be very careful that the language avoids putting um, any fault on the patient and it's uh, neutral at the same time as being patient-centered, if that makes sense. Oh, it makes it makes a lot of sense and being mindful and in the moment and thinking about the person that we're working with at that time. Um, you know, Catherine, we're getting close to the end of our time. Um, I think we hit all of the big points in the paper, but it really is a fascinating paper. Um, and I hope people get a chance to read it. I've seen health literacy really grow in the healthcare world over the past 15 to 20 years. And I think it's really making an impact on, um, on, on health outcomes and actually saving people's lives. So any other thoughts as we kind of close up here? Other thought that I'd like to add is just to really reiterate uh, as diabetes care and education specialists that we take each individual that we work with as truly a unique individual and tailor our uh, conversations with them to them, Um, thinking about health literacy, cultural sensitivity, um, and barriers that that patient may have. Because again, if we we don't think about that, it's a disservice to our patients as well as to ourselves. We're not doing the best that we can to help that patient and giving them the resources and tools that they need to be successful. Well, and I'm glad you brought up the cultural piece because our last podcast was on cultural considerations and cultural diversity. And really in this paper, we touch on both health literacy and cultural diversity. So this is sort of like wrapping up the two and bringing the two together. So I appreciate you mentioning that. Um, So Catherine, I want to say thank you so much for joining us today. I mean, I've loved the conversations we've had in the past, and I'm so happy that we got to share this conversation with the broader community. So thanks. Thanks again for everything.
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Huddle, Conversations with the Diabetes Care Team. Today we learned health literacy or lack of adequate health literacy is pervasive and we're all vulnerable no matter what level of education we have or socioeconomic situation we're in. Trisha gave us some great tips on how to assess the people with diabetes we're working with and what to look out for. We talked about ways we, diabetes care and education specialists, can help people with diabetes overcome the obstacles of health literacy. As diabetes care and education specialists, we recognize, assess, and offer evidence-based tools to help people with diabetes succeed on their journey. To dive into this paper and other AADE resources, visit diabeteseducator.org forward slash health literacy. To access resources and notes from today's discussion, visit diabeteseducator.org forward slash podcast. The information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and may not be appropriate or applicable for your individual circumstances. This podcast does not provide medical or professional advice and is not a substitute for consultation with a healthcare professional. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.